Welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode number 432. My name is Brando, and I guess welcome to the sexual harassment lawsuits episode. <laughs> I, I never thought I would be doing an episode of a Guns N' Roses theme podcast talking about sexual harassment, but I, I said since episode one, I'm not into just talking about my favorite song for 60 minutes for years. Let's Whatever touches the Guns N' Roses world, I'm going to talk about it. That's the kind of person I am. That's the kind of podcast this is. So my my guest today... Guns N' Roses fan, and also lawyer. That's what I needed because I wanted to have a an intelligent and rational discussion, which cannot happen on Twitter or X or social media. So I, I said last episode I, I was getting death threats, uh, being told to kill myself, being called a rape apologist because I support Axl Rose right now in his in the lawsuit against him. So let's get a Guns N' Roses fan slash not slash guns roses slash the actual abbreviation the punctuation uh lawyer jeff hackney who is a, a partner at hkm employment attorneys out of st louis the hometown of richard fortis so welcome jeff i really appreciate you coming on the podcast uh, today to talk about some difficult things thanks brando appreciate it glad to be here and uh you know we're gonna take a sort of clinical approach to some kind of wrenching, difficult, emotional things. And um, I hope that, you know, the distance and just rendering a professional eye doesn't doesn't make any of this seem insensitive. And I'm sure there's people in the audience who have been through things and You're right. So and I'll just keep that in mind. That's the that's the approach and that's what I wanted. It would be one thing if one thing, excuse me, if I wanted to talk by myself and I have my one viewpoint and I'm not narrow-minded enough like a lot of people are that my viewpoint is the only viewpoint and my bias because i love guns and roses would it hurt too much if axel really did these things and we've heard these rumors for for years not just this specific case being cited that happened in 1989 but you know the the famous people magazine with the battered beauties talking about erin everly and and stephanie seymour both settled out of court uh, all the all the controversy around the Axel with one in a million, but he still has millions of fans, female fans. I've interviewed hundreds of people on this podcast. Only one of them really has anything negative to say about Axel, and that's Alan Niven. And he has his viewpoint too, because he was fired, you know, around that that time. So I take everyone's opinion with a grain of salt, including mine. But I wanted to get a clinical approach. Uh, to this an intelligent one and, and try to have this kind of matter of fact how do we feel as fans and explaining what perhaps we don't understand about it because a lot of people just see the clickbait title and like oh okay uh fernando and guns and roses are screwing uh katrina benzova their their photographer several years out of copyright and and, and sexual harassment that's they can see that but i want to get behind that case as well and with axel again i defending him and i'm getting being called like a rapist by proxy and it's that's just sick it's sick if you even if you believe that by axel but just to call me that is just a sick thing to have happen so those were a fun few days on twitter and you responded on on, on twitter uh which i really appreciate because i put it out there i'm like hey if a lawyer goes roses fan wants to come on let's do this so let's do this. <laughs> so the first one we're going to talk about, it happened. I think it came out maybe right after the tour ended, essentially, uh, maybe a few weeks ago when this podcast is coming out. I don't think a month yet that uh, Kat, a very famous for her black and white photos, was the sole, sole like Guns N' Roses photographer for years throughout Not In This Lifetime. And she was 
kind of noticeably missing this time around with the tour because with Guns N' Roses, the way it's presently constituted, it's like a family. You know about Slash's girlfriend and her photos and Duff's wife and Katrina's on there, was on there also like promoting uh, a lot of charities uh, that the GNR got involved in, Save the Wolves, Save the Elephants, a lot of animal rights things that Slash and Axel are into as well. And then it's like, okay, she wasn't there anymore, didn't have any idea why. Then this lawsuit, this giant lawsuit came out. And how many pages did you say that was? You, you, you told yeah, me. Yeah, it's a, it's a 274-page complaint. Whoa. So needless to say, I kind of just went on what people highlighted and what was written in articles. I, 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 I wasn't going to read all of that, but I'm not judge, jury. I don't need to read all that. The first part of it is copyright. Which, Jeff, it's so ironic because I don't know how long you've been following my Twitter and following this podcast, but there was a, a time, uh, pun intended, there was a time a couple years ago that fan sites, especially on YouTube, were taken down citing copyright use. Some, I understand, if they were leaks that were coming out, they were you know, actual songs that were on albums, but a lot of that were just them were fan-filmed video. Like I had my original Twitter taken down because of my own fan, uh, fan filmed video of Absurd when he was announcing he was coming out at midnight and I had trolls striking me. Uh, and then now they're being sued for copyright. Uh, some sort of, and I know you're not a copyright lawyer, so I don't know how much we could really- I'm not. Yeah, you're not. So maybe it's just a Guns N' Roses fan, your thoughts on this part. And we'll talk about the sexual harassment stuff, which is your specialty. But she was a contractor and didn't have like a new contract each year, even though she asked Fernando for them. And he would say, we're family. You know, you don't put, do contracts with family. And she's just seeking damages of just a lot of, of her photos that she was not given credit on. And within that, and this you could speak to, is that she cited sexual harassment from Fernando. Uh, her coming, uh, him coming on to her. Uh, sending her lewd photos of like one involved a an ape like a, a gorilla grabbing his dick just like weird stuff and Fernando's a married man uh, and one time he cornered her in a, a, an allegedly cornered her in an alley saying no one's gonna believe you just weird things just like you hope it's not true I tend to believe it just based upon the specifics given Kat has a career that she's putting uh, in jeopardy. Like she's filmed Daryl Smith. She's a, a rock and roll photographer, so she's taking a huge risk here. So you're, uh, I don't know if you I, you can't give any legal thoughts on the copyright, but what are your thoughts on that? And I guess just the case itself involving uh, the sexual harassment. Yeah, it's and you know bringing one of these claims, it's not something that's undertaken lightly. Um, and I see with my claim with my clients that, you know, OK, if I sue my old employer, you know, is that going to hurt me trying to find another job? Um, and, you know, I certainly don't think this was casually undertaken. Um, and I can tell you, you know, she is a she was a contractor, not an employee um, under most laws in most states. You're not protected as a contractor, which is something people are shocked by, that you can be harassed, you can be discriminated against, yeah. but if you're not an employee, you're not protected. Um, they do allege that the California Civil Rights Act does cover contractors, and there is a second law that I think was recently amended. And you know, I'll give the disclaimer: I'm not, I'm not barred in California, I'm not barred in New York, which we'll talk about later. Um, but the there's a separate provision of the code that I think was amended to sort of cover the movie industry where people aren't employees like um, Ashley Judd is suing Harvey Weinstein uh, and she wasn't employed by Harvey Weinstein. But under the provisions of this law, well, if you're in a business relationship, you can you can you can bring a harassment claim. And, you know, you know. 
what she has to show that it, it was objectively and subjectively offensive. Um, that, you know, a reasonable person would be offended and she was offended. And on that second prong, you know, they can come back and say, well, you know, she wasn't actually bothered by this. She, it was all in good fun. She wasn't really offended until, you know, things went bad later. Um, and it has to be severe and, or pervasive, which means, you know, severe, you know, was it, are we talking about something that's really bad, uh, pervasive? You know, was it happening a lot? Um, one issue that I that they that she may have on these counts is um, statute of limitations because she cites incidents that go back to 2016, 2017, 2018, um, and you know the statute of limitations currently is three years on this stuff under the Fair Housing and Employment Act. Um, she can assert you can assert something called a, a a continuing violation, which means, you know, there was no real break in what was happening. It was just constant harassment day after day. And so under that legal theory, they can kind of, they can argue that, okay, we're going to reach back in time and bring some of this older stuff up. But I expect the defense to say, no, some of this stuff is, is untimely. Uh, and a lot of the, it's, as I recall, a lot of the, the worst allegations were sort of before 2021. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and it, it seemed like it was a constant pattern throughout the years uh, when they did that Night in This Lifetime and they got this version of Guns mm -hmm. N' Roses. But let me ask, as somebody who is really ignorant on, on why, but the, with the statute of limitations, and, and that's going to really come into play with the Axel case, sure. what, is, what is the reason behind that? Because they, whether it's... Three, four years in this case, or it's 30 years in Axel's case, there are so many variables that can go into play as to maybe why you didn't do this right away. And so what is the legal reason? Because it's almost like, yeah, it's a deadline, but it's it's putting pressure on somebody that maybe she's like, you know what, I'm going to deal with this. This is anno this guy's, you know, annoying me, but whatever, I'm... I'm surrounded by good people. I'm not in any real danger. Uh, and, and But maybe with this copyright stuff, she's she's thinking, and again, of course, I'm, this is hypothetical from the outside. She's like, you know what? Screw him. He's screwing me this with this copyright. All this other stuff that I never said anything about all these years, now I'm bringing it to light. Could that be looked at too, saying you're only bringing this up because of this? And and so that's the second half of it. So why the statute and... and, and could it be argued that she's only bringing that up now to support her copyright claims? Yeah, I mean that would that could be sort of a a, a credibility argument as to whether uh, you know she was truly, uh, as we said, subjectively offended by it. Whether whether it really bothered her. Although reading the allegations, it's hard to imagine that you know that she wouldn't be. I mean, and there's there's a lot of reasons why people don't bring claims against their employer, uh, especially if they're still working for them at the time, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, if it, it's 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 a different matter whether you've already left the place or whether you're still there. Um, so, I mean, I think there's perfectly good reasons why she wouldn't have brought that claim previously. That's how I look at it. I mean, she's traveling mm -hmm. the world uh, with, and she there's a lot of women on that tour with uh, the management and beta and i said you know the the wives or girlfriends of the band members and and melissa reese so yeah uh it could it so i, I so i guess how do you view the, the case now what is what is next and who do you like what do you do you see a settlement happening uh do they have to approach this okay we have the copyright decision and then we have the sexual harassment decision or are, are, are those since they were in the same claim are those two kind of married together that they can't be separated yeah i mean they they chose to to bring them in in one action which i think is appropriate um even even though they are distinct claims i mean they're both both arising out of the same business relationship from the same period of time mm -hmm. um you know so you know the the case has been filed it gets it gets served and then they will file a response which is either an answer where they for each of these numbered paragraphs and there's 
I don't know, a couple thousand of them. <laughs> um, you know, they say whether they either admit or deny the allegations of that particular paragraph, or they could file a motion to dismiss. Um, which on the on the on the sexual harassment claims, you know, I doubt we'll see a motion to dismiss. You know, unless it's on, you know, her contractor status. Um, and then from there, you begin discovery. And, uh, you know, you start requesting documents from the other side. They request documents from you. And then you start taking depositions, hmm. uh, you know, where, where you ask a person questions under oath with court reporter there. And once you go through all of that, the defense usually will file what's called a motion for summary judgment, which is judge. Uh, they do not have enough evidence to reach a jury. Um, and in the employment context, it's not unusual for a case to fail at summary judgment, especially in federal court. Um, and if you get past summary judgment, you get through trial, you know, which in a typical employment case, you're talking about maybe a two year timeline in federal court. Um, and obviously you have a lot of complicated issues here with the copyright issues uh, that are intermingled in. Um, so there's a long road ahead for everybody. But at any point upon the, along the line, the case could settle. And, and you know, jury trials are, are relatively rare. You know, most cases resolve at some point along the timeline. And it could be tomorrow or it could be, you know, I had a case settle when we were, when we were picking the jury. Um, mm. So, you know, it, it, it could certainly settle at any time. And it's just hard to predict, you know, if and when. What do you typically see when, and I know you can't like really answer this because a lot of people were asking for Fernando's resignation and Team Brazil's resignation. I'm not one of those right now I, uh, because, again, I, I need some sort of decision to be made. I don't want to call from someone's livelihood until this is proven to be true. Uh, but allegations, though, and, and in today's 24-7 news cycle, and clickbait headlines and headlines uh, where people just don't even read the article. I mean, there are people who are claiming for Fernando's job. It, in your, what you've seen in your cases, do you see people of upper management more often than not resign uh, if they don't have like a history of it? Or are they there to, to fight and prove their name? Like, what do you like? Is there a ratio that you kind of see? Uh, I guess it, I guess in, in the nor typical business because this is a rock band, it's a different world. But in, in a different, in a business with CEOs and COOs, do you typically see that big company being like, you know what, we don't even want this person, even though it, it, it may not be true, having them around is not good because there are still people clamoring for their job. So I, that, that that's something I think a lot of fans. I know we can't really answer that, but something that you know you've seen perhaps. Because that's a that's a big thing. Like he's he's very he's been a very public manager. So it's I, I don't know if this is going to be uh, what the decision whatever the court decision could be. They can rule in his favor and Gunther Rose's favor. But is it a good idea to still have him out there? Because there could be fans still upset regardless. Yeah, I mean, whether people stay employed after after allegations are brought, it's very fact specific. Um, there's not a one size fits all, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, if, 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 if an employer has noticed that somebody is a problem, um, and you know, they continue to employ them, you know, they could potentially be opening themselves up to a future claim for negligent retention. You know, if, if they do it to someone else, like, okay, well, you knew about this, you kept the guy on and look what happened now. Mm. Um, but, you know, obviously we've we've read the complaint and that's it. So we've only heard one side of, right. of the story. And I'm sure he has his version of what happened. Right. And I am a uh, a believer. And I, that being said, because uh, I know we're two guys here talking. I'm a supporter of the Me Too movement. There are a lot of people, like the aforementioned uh, monster uh, Harvey Weinstein needed to be brought down. I believe women more so, but however, 
that it's not a one size fits all situation. There are people who lie and take advantage of the system. And that kind of lends itself. Is that what's happening? Not with the Katrina case, but with the, the Axel Rose case. And I did get questions. So maybe this is kind of uh, segue into the Axel Rose case where he's being sued by a penthouse, a former penthouse pet. Um, in 1989 that he uh, abused her that it was rough sex gone wrong essentially uh, you people may have read the article it came out in 2016 that where that happened nothing nothing ever materialized from it there was a documentary that came out two years ago called look away where the story was told and she kind of tells a little bit of a different story than what's in the uh, her, her lawsuit uh, but this kind of, I guess, goes to the question I asked before. So before we get into all the specifics, this is from uh, Greg Venbra on on, uh, on Facebook. If Jeff could speak to the legal rationale of the Adult Survivors Act and other similar state laws that uh, extended the statute of limitations for these types of claims, it might help give perspective as to why courts allow claims that allege abuse from decades ago to be considered uh, and litigated. The most common thing I hear when it comes to this suit and other such lawsuits, such as the case against Steven Tyler, why did this person wait so long to file a claim? Why should the court system be used for cases where facts arose uh, decades ago? So I think that's a big question. And I don't want to be dismissive of decades old. Just because it happened, people have trauma. It can, it can happen for whatever reason. I don't... I don't really believe her given the information that I've seen and heard but I don't want to dismiss any woman that's ever come out with with long you know again Harvey Weinstein Bill Cosby so if you could sp speak to I guess the Adult Survivors Act and the, I know you, you don't have the um, practice in New York but there was that law that uh, was extended and that's why you saw things against Jamie uh, Jamie Fox and a lot of other Big name uh, celebrities happen like at the the eleventh hour, so to speak. So, if you can give us your expert opinion on on that, yeah, yeah. So, Governor New York signed in the the New York Adult Survivors Act in November of twenty two, and saying, okay, we're going to open up a one year window where, you know, we're gonna we're gonna waive these expired statutes of limitations, and you know, the reason for that is political and, and social that, you know, as, as a culture, we sort of had an awakening the last few years about uh, the nature of sexual abuse and how it manifests in victims and why they may not come forward, which can include, you know, um, they face a lot of adverse consequences. Um, they're probably getting, you know, you can get nasty message on social media, people people saying that, you, you know, you have bad motives, that you're lying. Uh, and there's a lot of shame involved. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, you know, obviously you're, you're putting a lot of very private, personal, traumatic things out there into the world for other people to not only know about, but judge. And, um, you know, we've come a long way as a country as, as far as how we treat victims, but we know that uh, there's a long history of, of blaming victims, right? Yeah. And a lot, and 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 a lot of a lot of history of victims not seeing justice, and they go through it all for nothing, right? Mm. Um, so, you know, that's how we kind of got to this legal and cultural moment. Yeah, and everything you said is true because if you, while I defend Axel, I, I'm sure if people really paid attention to like my feed and what I liked and comments I supported. I didn't support anything that called her names. Like, I, I don't know what this woman went through, you know, whether how much of it is true, if it all is true, if none of it is true. Something happened, and I don't want to take the position of, oh, she's lying completely. Same thing with the Johnny Depp case. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to say when you're not there, when you're not a part of it. It's so nuanced. Um, and, and a recent case that, Again, people that you could be a fan of, and I, I accept that. Like Danny Masterson from that 70s show. Just so disappointing. You know, I used to look up to that character, character Hyde, thinking he was so cool. But then it's like I can't watch that show anymore because it's just knowing what, he, what he, he did. So I guess with this Axl Rose thing, you hear, you've heard things throughout the years. 
and a couple points where people will bring up that People Magazine uh, cover that came out with the Better Beauties. And I'm like, you know what? I know People is a very famous magazine. It's not the National Enquirer. But if you go back to certain sensationalistic headlines, and it's not against men. So I wanted to be like, you know what? I wonder what they, how they covered Britney Spears, who we all defend now. And I'm telling you, and I'm not saying this retroactively, when she shaved her head, I'm like, you know what? She's suffering from something mental. I'm not making fun of, this is not funny. But no, they did. Brit, inside uh, Britney's meltdown. So, I mean, it's it's not, again, it's not a uh, a court case that they were, it's, it's still People Magazine. So I want people to take that with a grain of salt. Uh, a couple other things I want to bring up, because uh, it's never going to come out unless it's through me on on social media or on this podcast now the unfinished never to be finished book with Doug Goldstein and I wanted the good the bad and the ugly I, I just didn't want a fan book and I it could be off air on air I will tell you because it doesn't matter to me uh, now I haven't spoken to him uh, since and I'm not going to put it up for sale some people think about that I feel like I'm opening myself up to lawsuits speaking of which even though we never signed anything we just kind of have like a uh a Zoom handshake of 50-50 when it was done, and that was about it. So let me just say, people are like, well, he has a history of this. He has a history of getting into arguments. He goes, uh, Axel loved Aaron, and she loved him. So Aaron Everly, you know, of course, the, the daughter, what Sweet Child of Mine was about. So those who were citing It's So Easy could also cite Sweet Child of Mine. That's the duality of Axel Rose. By the way. Even though Duff wrote the lyrics of It's So Easy, that's a duality, though, of Axel. But they just weren't a good match. The media has a lot of details wrong. No battered beauties, as People Magazine uh, once stated. I can't speak to her or what Stephanie Seymour has said publicly or in court. What I can speak to, uh, one of the many tr uh, true things you'll find out about Axel Rose, about how he tr really treated women. I was with the guy for nearly two decades, 17 years, if you want to be specific, Surely, I would have seen something. I know the first. Uh, the, I know the signs of abuse firsthand. He was abused by his not sexually, but he was hit by his dad. Uh, so that kind of abuse. Erin uh, Everly was really, really, really sweet to me. I'll never say a negative thing about how she treated me. But Erin and Axel had one of those relationships. I had one with a gal we called Psycho Cindy. She dated Janie Lane in high school. He didn't tell me that she was a psycho before I got involved. I was like, thanks a lot, Janie. Also, when people call people like psycho or like how Axel's psycho, how we've, what you said before, have these last few years looking at victims, the same thing with mental health. What we saw once as crazy is now bipolar. It could be treated. So I think those, we're looking at those words. And I think we're, we need to do some revisionist history in Axel's behavior with the bipolar lens, given how he's behaving today. So Doug goes on to explain, that's who basically Aaron was. She was a jabber. Don't poke the bear. She used to poke the bear all the time. And so they would get into these really heated conversations. I would always hear on the receiving end, uh, I would always be on the receiving end of uh, Aaron's phone calls. Help, he's going to kill me. No, he's not going to kill you. It was rinse and repeat with these kind of arguments. It never escalated to violence. Axel fought dudes, not women. Uh, there was one instance that where Aaron called Doug over. Help, he's going to kill me. Again, Axel was obviously not going to kill her, but I still came down to help out the situation. I show up. All the uh, furniture is thrown around. Uh, there's a uh, picture thrown out the, w the, the window, like paintings and out. And I'm standing outside on the grass where I hear this tiny voice. Doug, Dougie, uh, Aaron, where are you? I'm over here in the rose bushes, Aaron whispered over to me. She's naked, literally sitting in rose bushes. Before anything else, I start going in the house and getting a robe for her. What's going on? He went crazy and he's threatening to kill me. Okay, well, he's not here anymore. He, you're sure? I'm positive. I looked around. His car's gone. He's not here. You're safe. He took it out on the furniture. Uh, that relationship was tumultuous, uh, to say the least. It was always something. Always something. Now, I'll just say this, too, with Stephanie Seymour, because I feel like you have to build. People were asking, uh, and I'll, I'll credit the person after, can you use these cases 
against Axel in this particular case. So with Stephanie Seymour, basically Axel kept finding the same girl. Axel had a bit of what I had, finding women that are dysfunctional as you, as dysfunctional as you. No one knew that side of Stephanie. Axel uh, felt that if someone needed him, uh, that somebody needed him. She's fucked up in the head. I'm fucked up in the head. Attracts alike. Uh, so when Axel, he also didn't expect to fall in love with his young son, like Dylan. He wanted to be his dad. So like he just wanted to be a good role model for his, for his dad. But they were constantly fighting. And, and it was similar to Aaron. He would just be like, just stop the fighting, please. But when you poke the bear, poke the bear, you come at me hard, I'm going to come back at you. Ten times worse. So the verbal stuff may have been there. But it stems from being an abused kid. I knew the duration uh, of why Axel acted the way that he did. You're so afraid you're going to get struck. You're going to strike back first and fast. That's how it was in Axel's relationships. Uh, however, it does not blind me to the truth. I'm always uh, I, I'm aware there's two sides to every story. Giving everybody the benefit of the doubt that I see any bruises ever on Aaron. Blood, marks, no, no, and no. The only blood I ever saw was self-inflicted when she jumped in the, into the rose bushes. Same thing with Stephanie. Never saw any physical manifestation of what she said that he did. I just didn't. Trust me. Again, I know how to look out for this stuff. There was this inconsistency between her and, and Aaron's words. Uh, wh from what I saw they were presenting. I just knew Axel very well for 17 years that he would never start something. It's just not who he is. Uh, he just wanted to be loved. He wanted to love and be loved. Uh, and I'll, I'll just say this because this is a story that will never be out there. And I'll, I'll just wrap up my uh, portion of this. That once they got into a fight where uh, Stephanie kicked him in the balls. And Axel, he admits this, that may have pushed her down away, like away from me. I don't know about you. Maybe that could – you get kicked in the balls. I will never, ever hit a woman ever. I can never have, never will. But that could be a reaction like, oh, I don't know. That's that's that's, that's crazy. So he, apo he apologized for it though. So much so he asks Doug to get him a white horse. I'm going to ride up to Stephanie's house on a white horse and ask for forgiveness. So he got an Arabian horse who John Reese was the tour manager of the time and his wife happened to be in that world uh, that he needed an Arabian white horse and he went up to her window and apologized with flowers and just he's just wanted to show that no one knows that side of Axel Rose. They just know this battered beauty side. So actually, let me just say this before and we'll, we'll uh, how many pages was Axel's compared to the the cat one? It was not. It was much yeah, shorter. Oh, this, yeah, yeah. The complaint against Axel was just twenty pages. Right. So just twenty pages. But there's a lot of things people can read uh, about it. So uh, with that, I think I think it's it's uh, it's funny. I guess what's out there that we know. So I again I watched that Look Away documentary where it starts out talking about lyrics from Ig uh, Iggy Pop. Which are weird. You know, you could say that about a lot of songs now. From Winger, from even the Beatles. She's 16, she's 17. It just all seems friggin' weird in today's prism. I mean, I, when I grew up, I'm like, I'm a young kid. I don't get that. Uh, why that's uncomfortable. But they were hit songs, whatever. So, watching the documentary, again, uh, it was started out with underage lyrics toward Iggy Pop. Then it went into a story about Steven Tyler that's been out there with an underage girl that he took along and tour with him. And then it also had ended because the actual stuff was kind of in the middle with Kim, the, the famous infamous manager of the, uh, the Runaways, you know, and, and getting a 15-year-old Cherie Curry and getting these underage girls. And, that's, and then Axel's story had nothing to do with underage girls. So I just thought that seemed very out of place there, very strange. And what also seems strange is that this woman, this former penthouse pet, so a grown woman who admits wanting to sleep with Axl Rose at this time, which, by the way, does not make it okay. You can agree to sex, but that stuff can elevate and abuse can still be occur. So I think Correct. so. I, that needs to be said, too, uh, where the word rape was not used. However, her framing, and Jeff, we spoke about this off air, implies that rape happened. So within that doc, she had said it wasn't rape, it was consensual. 
but then he starts going off saying that why do I still feel this way and he doesn't first of all I don't know how Axel feels the guy's been in therapy his entire life so he could be so regretful of half his behavior but then said oh I, I googled his this stuff about him and what he used to do so I wanted to take away that how what googling does googling can only get you so far I think so I just thought that was a really lazy thing to have happened and I just told you this, Jeff, uh, off the air. I'll bring it up here. Uh, so Vicki Hamilton and Chris Weber uh, from Hollywood Rose were both in the documentary, saying nothing different than they've said in every other Guns N' Roses documentary they've ever been in. But this was framing Axel as somebody dangerous and unhinged. And I guess found it surprising. So I wanted. To, I reached out to Vicki. That's not what she signed up for. She spoke about what she speaks about a lot was the boys club. In, in Hollywood and being a manager at that time. And they took a small portion of his of her interview to frame it like she was speaking ill of Axel. And she would never have done it if that was the, the, the case. She had not seen the documentary until I told her about it. She's like, I'm in it? She's like, oh, I, I remember being interviewed for this. That's This is not what I signed up for. That's messed up. So that needs to be, that needs to be said. So all of that being said, see, this is like what I know. In addition to my interviews, and this is why I defend Axel Rose, but I don't have a lawyer here. I don't know if she has a case. Now I got a lawyer here. Now, again, there are people. Let me see if I could find the person who said, "Can you bring up these uh, old cases?" I don't know. I'll, I'll find it. But if you can just, I guess, speak to all of that. <laughs> I know I just said I, I know I just said a lot this day. Okay, here we go. Uh, Red Black, uh, twelve oh six on Twitter. Can old court cases that were settled out of court, Aaron and Stephanie, be used in this case? So, I don't know. I guess that's where we can le- we'll lead off with. Can that? Can those cases yeah. be used? Yeah. So, in 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 the criminal context, what you're what what we call that is prior bad acts. Um, and I, I, I've done some criminal work and in, in the rules of evidence are very restrictive about bringing stuff in because it's prejudicial. In other words, if in a criminal case, you know, you don't want the jury to convict someone because they don't like something he did in the past. He's on trial for the thing he's on trial for. And that's it in the civil context. And it's important to remember, this is a, this is a lawsuit. It's not a criminal case. Um, and part of that is, uh, that Sheila Kennedy only needs to prove her claims by what's called a preponderance of the evidence, which means it's more likely than not that it's what she alleges is true, as opposed to a criminal case where it's beyond a reasonable doubt, right? So we're talking about 51% certainty as opposed to 99% certainty. Um, you know, there is, you know, the the rules of evidence in the civil context as far as prior bad acts, um, they may have more more luck getting getting things in. Uh, the 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 fundamental test tends to come down to prejudicial versus probative, which means how relevant is it and how likely is it to inflame the prejudices of the jury if they hear about it. Uh, they've sort of hinted that they're going to try and get some prior bad acts in by their petition because the petition refers to it refers to a 1985 arrest, uh, which I didn't know about, um, where Axel was picked up for alleged statutory rape and then the charges were dismissed. They refer to the People magazine story involving Aaron. And by the way, in preparing for this, I noticed, I forget where I found it, but somewhere I think Aaron alleged that he grabbed her by that Axel grabbed her by the hair at one point, which is what's alleged here. Right. So I mean so it's a obviously a similarity of allegations there. Um, it also they also make reference to um, I think Stephen Adler stated that uh, he saw Axel push a woman down a flight of stairs. They refer to that. So the fact that it's in the complaint um, you know, leads me to believe that there will be some effort to bring some prior bad acts in, you know, and the question is, well, how do you do that? Who, who's your witness? You know, you can't just bring a, uh, bring in a copy of Stephen Adler's book and present it as evidence. So, you know, they're okay. going to have an issue. Okay. How do they get this stuff admitted? 
Um, you know, if Axel, you know, if it's in, in trial and Axel testifies that, you know, uh, no, I've never, I've never done X, Y, and Z, you know, on direct examination, it sort of opens up the door on cross to come back and say, oh, what about this? What about this? Um, so, you know, there will be big fights about what comes in and what doesn't if there's a trial. Um, and, you know, that's all settled through, you know, pretrial motions and you, you argue in front of the judge and the judge makes the evidentiary rulings. But during discovery leading up to trial, you know, it's a very, you know, it, 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 you're allowed to explore, you know, pretty much anything that, that's arguably relevant. So, um, you know, they will be requesting documents. They will be asking questions about, you know, anything and everything on, on what happened in the past. But at the end of the day, what, 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 what a jury would hear, you know, it's, it's up to the judge and uh, the New York Rules of Evidence you know, what comes in. Okay. Okay. Uh, do you have the, uh, the Axel, uh, lawsuit in front of you? Cause I have uh, I do. a question. This is from Irene GNR. Uh, mm -hmm. oddly enough at justice for Axel on, uh, on X on Twitter. Yeah. I don't get numbers two and 19 in the preliminary statement. They seem contradictory to me. If she quote, wasn't aware of his identity and popularity end quote, then how did she, quote, use his fame, status, and power as a celebrity to manipulate, control, and assault her? Yeah, and it, that does appear to be inconsistent, right? Like, if you, okay, if you didn't, didn't know he was famous. Uh, well, when she met him, I think she, she'd been told that he was famous. But, uh, you know, prior to her friend telling her who Axl Rose is, uh, claims that she'd never heard of him, which, um, you know, he was obviously very, very famous in, in 1989. Um, you know, so his power as, as, as someone well-known, I mean, if, 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 you, if you were taking her deposition and you said, Sheila, how do you reconcile these two statements? I mean, she would probably say, well, you know, he had this, this entourage mm -hmm. and they were doing what he said and, you know, Ricky Rackman was doing what he, what he was told and, you know, he, he had... <laughs> you know, sway and influence and things like that. Um, you know, it's not immediately clear, you know, what the fact that he, he, he was famous, how that really plays into what happened. You know, if, if these, these same allegations could have been made against anybody, right? Famous or not famous. Unless he was to coerce her into the room, mm -hmm. hey, I'm Axel. But mm -hmm. in that 2021 uh, documentary, she asked her friend, like, oh, he's hot. Like, yeah. And, and it was a whole, you know, went up to the, the room with Ricky Rackman. Uh, mm -hmm. The Axel left with the other girl. And, and Axel, fashion consistent, like, starts yelling at her. She ran out of the room. Uh, and that pulling by the hair uncomfortable story happened. And she started getting her legs cut on shag carpeting, which I'm like, how do you cut yourself on shag carpeting? But I, I don't I don't know. Um and, but immediately, and this is something I, I'm really curious about, because as we look at a lot of things differently now with victims and with mental health in the year 2023, and this has been consistent too with anyone I've interviewed about Axel saying that he could be the sweetest little guy, the sweetest guy, and then all of a sudden just flip. And that seems to me, I'm, I'm not a therapist, I'm not, a, you know, but I've, I've been to therapy. I, I, I know enough about this. I have family. I have family members that are manic. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm clinically depressed. I, you know, my both of my parents are mentally ill. So it just seems like the behavior of a mentally ill person. Because right away he started apologizing. I'm so sorry and cleaning her up. And then that's when they had consensual sex, which he says in the the video that it was sweet it was you know he was very nice he when he you know kissed me up against the wall it wasn't forced i was into it uh how much does mental health play where he wasn't getting the treatment back then that he's getting now can you go that route saying that you are dealing with oh you took advantage of a mentally ill person or this is somebody who can't be held for their actions at this point because they would not diagnose properly. Is that something that's used now in today's court? 
No, I don't. I don't really think you get any mileage mileage out of that. Okay. Um, you know, Axel issued a statement through his lawyer that says he doesn't remember anything about this, right? Um, which, you know, that can make it, it difficult for him to defend in the sense that he, you know, if he sticks to that, the only thing he'll be able to say is, I don't know, I don't remember, I have no memory of this, which means he won't be able to dispute details. He won't be able to say, well, no, it didn't quite go like this. It, it went a little different. It went like this. Okay. So, you know, I think, I think I would be slightly concerned with that if I, if I were defending Axel. Um, and you sort of got, and I assume people who are listening are familiar with the allegations, but um, you sort of got, you know, two distinct things going on here. So, you know, they meet at the club, they go back to his hotel room. She, she goes to the restroom, she sees that, you know, in addition to the cocaine and the alcohol that he's taken lithium and, and Adderall and other, other medications, and this concerns her. Uh, she thinks, well, you know, trouble could be brewing. And then they, they go back to Axel's room, the room's cleared, and it's four people in the room. It's Ricky Rackman, it's Sheila Kennedy, this other model named, referred to as B, I've seen, mm. and Axel. And then, you know, Axel, Axel and B begin sexual activity. And then Sheila and Ricky leave. And then they just hear commotion, you know, that Axel's yelling and breaking things. And then the allegation is Axel comes back down out of the room, grabs Sheila by, and pulls her by the hair on the rug, takes her back in the room. And at that point, it's just Sheila and Axel in the room. Um, and that he has intercourse with her, which she states is non-consensual. From that, once someone has committed these violent acts, grabbing and hair pulling, uh, you know, she will argue that at that point, well, the stage has been set that this is a violent person and he might hurt me. And so if I say no to sex, well, he might, he might do something else. He might hurt me again. Um, and, and that it was inherently coercive that way. Um, so just on the grabbing her and pulling her hair, that's bad. That's assault and battery. And if she'd filed a claim at the time, uh, she could have just sued him for that without alleging sexual assault. Just, okay, this, you know, Axel grabbed me, dragged me across the floor. I'm, you know, I'm just suing him for assault and battery for that. Um, she can't do that now unless she ties it to sexual assault under this New York law that extends the statute of limitations. Um, except that there's another claim under New York City law, this Gender, Viola Gender Motivated Violence Protection Act, um, which, you know, she could, you know, setting aside the sexual assault, she, if, she, if she can establish that he was motivated to assault her, drag her and pull her by the because of the fact that she's a woman, um, you know, she can bring an action just for that. So even if she fails to, to prove sexual assault, there's still potentials that she could recover just on gender-motivated gender assault. But for any of the emotional distress, intentional fiction of emotional distress claims, the assault battery claims under, you know, that are extended under the New York Adult Survivors Act, she has to tie that to sexual assault. And that's defined you know, she, she has to prove that it, this would have been a violation of the New York criminal statutes. Okay. Hopefully that makes sense. I'm, it's, I'm, I'm learning. It's just, it's so, it is complicated uh, for those of us who are not in the, uh, who do not take the bar exam. So that's why I really do appreciate your time. And we, we can keep going on and on, but I want to just at least get this question in. Um, from uh, Amy Dolores Blair. So this kind of parlays into that. So within, uh, with regard to the suit against Axel, I haven't seen the answer, but if it's a, a general denial, which we, you said that's Axel is doing, uh, but he's kind of putting himself in a corner where he can, can't say, oh, well, it didn't happen this way, it happened that way. Uh, do you think it should be amended to include an alternate, alternative pleading uh, alleging consent and also with that documentary where uh, how much weight would that have 
the recording have because it just seems like a very different story where the sex again was consensual but she's like it wasn't what she signed off for initially she probably just thought she was gonna i guess i don't know whatever normal sex is but it got a little out of hand with the pulling and the screaming uh the apologies it was just more emotionally taxing than it should have been that's to put it loosely um so if you're plaintiff uh if you're plaintiff, do you want it in or, or out of the documentary? Do you, like, do you, would you want that to be used? Because uh, she said it was consensual, but can you have an, uh, an effective uh, consent following an assault? So, yeah, that's kind of what we've been ta- talking about here. Yeah, so, you know, as far as, so there's, I've seen three versions of her telling this story. The complaint the the interview in the documentary, and then uh, her autobiography. So she published a book, which I, I downloaded on uh, Amazon to get ready for this. And so, so she will be cross-examined uh, for any inconsistencies between three versions of this story. Um, and you know, if I was representing Sheila, we would have to do a lot of thinking about. Um, how we're going to prepare for these questions because they're going to be very, very difficult because, I mean, she's been pretty explicit that, you know, she say, she stated it was consented, it was okay, it was fine. These are quotes from the documentary. But, you know, even in the documentary, she says it's okay, and then she says, I was embarrassed and humiliated. I felt dirty. I felt shame, which is, okay, if, it, if, it's, if it's okay, it doesn't sound like it was okay if you felt embarrassed, humiliated, right. and shame. Um, and so, you know, she'll be given a chance in her deposition. Okay. Can you, can you explain why you said that this was consensual and now you're saying it's not? And I'm sure she will give a very well-prepared answer to that, that they're going to spend a lot of time on how she's going to answer that question. And, you know, there, and, and just there's legal reality and there's ordinary reality. Hmm. Right. And, and just if, if you're just talking to people you know, not in a courtroom, and you can think of a lot of reasons why someone who had a sexual experience they didn't want might say that, oh, no, it was, it was fine, it was consensual, um, because they don't want to deal with, with additional questions. They don't want to deal with um, you know, shame. They don't want to deal with all that stuff we talked about earlier. Um, and you, you might understand why someone would would be inconsistent on that. Uh, but, you know, if you're trying to prove something with evidence in court, uh, those inconsistent statements are going to be they're going to they're going to they're going to be very difficult to deal with. Um, and, you know, she's going to she's going to have to do really well on, on fielding that. And it may be it, you know, on that part of the claim, it, it, it may be too much too much to overcome. We'll just see if it, go, if it does indeed go to trial, uh, it'll, it, we'll just have to see how it plays out. Could you see Ricky Rackman being uh, subpoenaed since he was mentioned? Yeah, absolutely. They're going to, they're going to want to talk to this, um, so far unnamed model B. They're going to want to talk to Ricky Rackman. Um, and you know, it's, it's unclear how cooperative they're going to be or where their sympathies are going to lie. Um, and, and, and they'll be critical for establishing everything that led up to the alleged sexual assault. Uh, but, it, but for the, you know, for the assault itself, the only people in the room were Sheila and Axel. Right. Um, and so, you know, Ricky and B won't be able to, to testify as to that. But, the, you know. Uh, I guess because we are not giving a guilty verdict, innocent verdict. That was never the point of this. This was just to have, sure. a, again, uh, mm-hmm. a rational, intelligent conversation. You know, me kind of representing the fan. I mean, we're both fans of GNR. That's why we're both here. Mm-hmm. But representing the fan who just really doesn't understand the legality, like you just said, the the legal reality versus just the regular reality. So I, I needed help with that, which you really have, have helped uh, with today. But what do you see because if he settles do you see that as an admission of guilt but if it goes to trial then that's his name in the paper for longer 
And so what would you, what, what would you do and, and what do you see happening? Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's hard to predict, um, you know, emotions play into whether cases settle or not. Um, you know, it's not like, I mean, this is Axel making the decision on whether to settle. It's not, you know, an insurance company saying, okay, we have, you know, Y on the chart is our risk and X is our expenses and so forth and so on. So it comes down to a lot of, a lot of, you know, soft people things, right? Um, and he may, you know, he may say, no, you know, I'm not, I'm not paying a nickel on this. I don't care. We'll do whatever we have to do. Or he may say, for whatever reasons, that no, you know, it's worth it to resolve it. And, um, you know, it's, and then if it does resolve the terms of the settlement, you know, there's different ways of setting that up. There could be confidentiality, uh, binding on, on Sheila, binding on Axel, um, who, you know, you're not allowed to talk about this. Mm. Um, you know, the agreement could explicitly say, well, this is not, this is not an admission of guilt. Um, and all that's negotiated, right? What are, what are the, you negotiate the money and then you negotiate the terms of the agreement. You know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's hard to predict, you know, what, what the case is worth, you know, and which may or may not be disclosed if it's settled. You know, I'm sure, you know, she would, would want to, want to be able to talk about it. Uh, and it just, just comes down to, to whatever, whatever they're able to work out or not. I mean, being a Guns N' Roses fan, I mean, we're waiting on new music. We're waiting for lawsuits. Like, what's, what's going on? This, this, is a, this has been a, a tough band to follow, but we, we do it. Uh, we hope both of those situations end, end well, uh, whatever the result uh, may be. Uh, I'm trying to find the quote from my, my friend uh, Graham over in Ireland who does all like the graphics uh, of, of this, he, he put it perfectly. He summed it up. God, I'm going through all my tweets again, like retweeting uh, death threats, rape apologist, you're white. I mean, Jesus. I mean, I, I hate that, man. It's like, okay, you don't know about me. Well, okay, I don't get anti-Semitism. Uh, I have a dad who killed himself. Like, I, I have a lot of trauma in my life, so I can't speak. And, and Again, Axel, I shouldn't say again, I haven't brought this up, but I was bringing this up online. Axel is a victim of abuse by his father and his stepfather. So it doesn't excuse him from behavior, uh, but it goes to show you why he behaves in a certain behaved in a certain way. It, it's just very, it's sad. It's, it's sad all the way around. Uh, okay, here we go. From Iris yeah. Documentaries. I was stalling. I, worked, I think that worked out well. Uh, being a Guns N' Roses fan uh, requires sheer grit and metal. So I guess one, that, the one little statement I wanted to get. Uh, Jeff, how do you, what do you normally charge for an hour? <laughs> Can I ask that? <laughs> uh, you, don't, you don't have to say if you don't want. Uh, uh, whatever it is, I hopefully a, a plug will do. I, I appreciate you taking this time out. I mean... I told you at the beginning, you, your time is valuable. I know how much work, because I have friends that are lawyers, you put into it. And the fact that you did so much homework for this and you came here prepared, uh, I can't thank you enough. This was a, a very important and special conversation for us to have here in Appetite. So uh, HKM, Employment Attorneys, they have businesses uh, uh different states. I don't know how many you have, how many practices yeah, there yeah, are. Yeah, we're, we're home offices in Seattle. Um, and we've got, we've got locations all across the country. I'm based out of St. Louis. We handle St. Louis and Chicago. So, um, and we represent employees. Um, and so certainly, uh, come find us if, uh, if, if you think you might have a case or you, or you need counseling about something. And you, again, you get not only talk to an intelligent man, a Guns N' Roses fan. So you should go to his twi Twitter. I liked it the other day. You sent me your, uh, your acoustic cover of Night Train, or no, excuse me, My Michelle. My Michelle, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which, which is pretty uh, pretty awesome. So if you got uh, Porsche Jeff, so if you want to follow Porsche Jeff on on X Twitter, and it was it sounded good. I had never heard My Michelle acoustically, 
as you said, should have been maybe the B-side of Lies. It should have been on there. Yeah, I think that would have been a, a good candidate for the for the acoustic side of Lies. Yeah, yeah, re, retweet that and and, and uh, I will. We can get we can get that performance out there. Oh, uh, no, I, I definitely will. Well, Jeff, thank you so much. I I encourage if you have questions about this conversation, you know, whether we do a part two or where you, you, whether you can answer them on X for people, if they have any questions about this conversation today, you know, um, I'm always open. This isn't just a closed, that's the beauty of actual conversation and not 160 character tweets. We can keep going back and forth. So, uh, absolutely. Hopefully the, the next episode will not deal with sexual harassment and I'll go back to interviewing rock stars. <laughs> there you go. So that does it for this episode of Appetite for Distortion. When will you see the next one? In the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, I don't know if soon is the word, but you'll see it. Thanks to the lame ass security, I'm going home. <laughs>